Movies and Booze on Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. It is indeed uh, time for uh, Movies and Booze. Dean, Fanula and Esther are joining us uh, uh, to talk on uh, the aforementioned subjects, uh, I should say. Dean, how are you today? I'm very good, thanks. Uh, yeah, I had a bit of a, a wild few weeks just back from New York where I only got to research about I think about 37 beers. Um, oh, lazy. Sorry. Lazy <laughs> sauce. You're losing it. You really are. I, I had the children with me and uh, it was kind of getting to be difficult to... Uh, to Annoying children. <laughs> and so, like, were you just, like, headache, dragging your children around Manhattan going from bar to bar? Oh, you daddy! <laughs> Can we go home now? You said it was Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, no. It is for me. <laughs> it, it was actually meant to be a holiday for the children. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I've, I've managed to convince them that the food at a particular bar that does a hundred uh, hundred different beers on draft is good, so they enjoy the burgers in there. So that, okay, all that, right, that helps the goals, and it helped uh, also that that particular bar is a sports bar, and there was a Man United game and a Chelsea game on, and I've uh, one Man United and two Chelsea fans in the kids. Okay, well that's handy too. So yeah. that that helped the cause, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, but uh, very good, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and so, like craft beers are big in you in. in is it because I thought I, I kind of associated with smaller, not with big cities, really? For some, yeah, some reason, not with New York. It's uh, the, the last figures that I heard um, was at uh, the last brewing conference that I was at, which is about six months before the pandemic. And at that stage, they had six and a half thousand breweries around the US, and they were projecting by now for it to be at nine thousand. Now it's probably gone down quite significantly because an awful lot of those breweries were dependent on on visitor centres and pubs and things like that. So with the pandemic, it's it's uh, probably hit hard. But in general, take, taking the pandemic out of the equation, it's uh, like almost as many breweries as bakeries, it feels like at this stage, you know, that there's quite a few of them around and they're doing very well. Right. OK. Yeah. So, uh, but we're not talking about beers no. in New York today at all. German German beers. No, when I was in New York, I, I got to taste a beer called Gosses are Red and I thought I'd do a Gosse uh, today. And that's a, a German style of beer, quite unusual. It's sour and salty. Uh, but the gossip that we've got is from an Irish brewery. It's from uh, Hope Brewing in Dublin. And, um, oh, great. Yep, so they've done a, an interpretation. There, there's a, a few other gossips from Irish breweries, like Gill are doing one uh, soon. I've tasted a few from Hopfully, um, and they've done a great Hopfully. job. On, Hopfully. <laughs> Brilliant. <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, they've done a great one. Funny enough, each time I, I taste one of their beers, I go back looking for more of them, and they are so good that they keep on selling out, which is a good, good sign. Good good sign, yeah. And the second beer is... Uh, Another German style, but an unusual style. Again, we're looking at German styles that people generally haven't heard of. So the first one we'll be reviewing when we get to it is Eyinger Prulings beer. It's a spring seasonal beer. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, Esther, once again, we're talking about one of those fluffy bits of entertainment full of gratuitous sex and shooting and car chases. Uh, Is this Downton Abbey going to be the same? Yeah, I was, I was asked by on, on Twitter earlier whether there was any prosthetic penises in this film and I said that would be a spoiler so I can't reveal that, okay. Sean. All right. Um, as as a, uh, referring to your other item, but yeah, this is... Look, it is what it is. It's, you know, it's, it's fan service <laughs> in the purest possible way. Um, but I think it's done a good job of bringing new story into uh, what is now the second uh, movie spin-off, of course, of the hugely successful TV series. Um, 
six series long. People got obsessed with it, didn't they? They mm. really. I um, I think my first time of of seeing stuff trending like crazy on Twitter was Downton on um on a Sunday night when it became a collective viewing experience. And um, Caroline Clark, actually formerly of this parish, did her very best to get me into um, into watching it. I was never really a huge fan. I didn't, I really didn't have a it. choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she frog marched me to her DVD collection at one stage. That's how hard she tried, and uh, and and checked. You know, questioned me to check how many episodes I had actually watched, but I couldn't quite get into it. Now. Don't get me wrong. I love uh, Maggie Smith's uh, Dowager Countess calling uh, somebody a Veruca as much as the next person. But I just never got into the soapiness of it, I guess. Um, But here's the movie. Here's the spin-off. And it is the first film, I think, successfully proved what has been notoriously difficult for TV film adaptations is how do you get people's arses off the sofa on a Sunday night and into the cinema to pay for something they watch at home for free? You know, and and I think it did that very successfully. It was a big hit in 2019. So here's the spin-off coming, uh, the second spin-off movie coming now. And they've got a whole new story going on here. The movies, uh, the silent movies are coming to Downton. Right. Basically. Okay. Yeah, because I think the last movie, which a lot of people were disappointed with, it was all supposed to be, oh, Downton embraces change. And this seems to be kind of similarly themed that it's Downton embracing change. But it's yeah, only the, three weeks after the last film in, in, in the timeline. Exactly. It's not much change going to be embraced now, lads, mm. in a formula that's this winning and this, you know, perfect. Like fans don't want the car crashes, as you say, or the mad sex scenes. Um, uh but what they're trying to do is kind of, I think, refer to the period a little bit more here. And it's if you're a film fan, it's kind of interesting in the period that's set. Uh, they're, they're making a silent film in, um, it's quite funny, actually. They're making a silent film in Downton. And the lead actress is frightfully posh looking and very classically beautiful looking. But unfortunately, she talks like... Ricky in EastEnders <laughs> in real life. Uh, so that's kind of funny. Um, and when when the, the talkies come along and they decide they're going to have to turn it into a talk, uh, a talking film to compete with the new this new development in cinema, she thinks her career is absolutely finished. So that's a bit of kind of fun, you know. Uh, and she may or may not need the assistance of Mel Dockery's uh, very posh lady. Uh, to help her along and and play a little bit of trickery, a little bit of movie magic. Uh, That's kind of the the angle to it, I guess. Right, okay. And I suppose Ennio is quite different to this and it might be one for movie buffs, really, in the sense that uh, a lot of people would go, who's that? Yeah, Ennio Morricone, like just one of the great, great uh, score writers of all time. Peerless, I think, really. Um, Died in 2020, wrote over 400 scores. And I think the, you know, we know him for the, we all know him from the, from the Westerns and the Sergio Leone stuff and, and the Clint Eastwood stuff. But like, I think his Oscar nominations are a good look at the sheer depth of his talent. Like mm. he was nominated for Bugsy, The Untouchables, uh, Days of Heaven, Terrence Malick's film, The Mission, shamefully overlooked for The Mission, uh, Milena, and it took... Uh, till 2016 for the Academy to wake up and go, what now? And uh, give him his first Oscar, would you believe? His first and only Oscar. He did get an honorary, uh, but that was for Quentin Tarantino's film, The Hateful Eight. Uh, And I just just think that those nominations, of which there should be many, many more, 
uh, give you a sense, I think, that, that you're not just watching the fella that used to write quirky scores for Westerns. Uh, you're actually watching a history of cinema here, um, right back from really early Italian stuff that I had a lot of fun with, uh, black and white Italian kind of cheesy movies. And uh, yeah, it's very, very good. It's very comprehensive. Uh, not sure if many subjects would justify a documentary that runs for over two and a half hours, but Whoa. I think any Morricone does. Yeah. Right. OK. All right. That's a long one. You can tell us uh, more about that uh, in detail uh, now. And this seems to be only blown up today, Fanula, this whole thing with Chris Pratt uh, and uh, like, is he some sort of closet Nazi? <laughs> Um, I don't I don't think so right but he has fallen out of favour a lot with the general public since you know he kind of broke out on Parks and Rec as Andy this kind of lovable himbo character I suppose and then he obviously moved into this like hunky leading man thing with the Jurassic World the reboot of that and he was obviously he's the leading guy in Guardians of the Galaxy which is the story we're going to talk about where essentially this tweet went viral from a fan basically calling for him to give give up that role and to be replaced with Patrick Wilson which I thought was very funny because I actually never made the connection before they look very similar he's that character actor who's in all the horrors he's in all the conjurings and Ah. insidious they do look kind of similar when you think about it but basically James Gunn the director of Guardians of the Galaxy has said like that's absolutely not going to happen and as you kind of refer to the reason why he's fallen out of favour is because he's been associated with these some of these mega churches that potentially have like anti-LGBTQ alliances and everything else, he's come out and made statements because he's been called out publicly by other actors. Um, Elliot Page in 2019, transgender actor people know from Juno and the Umbrella Academy came out and called Chris out for attending so seemingly this anti-LGBTQ church. He put out a statement saying... I don't go to that church. I don't know what people think of this or whatever. And I also, I suppose there's a conversation around his political affiliations. Um, he has never kind of publicly said where he lies, but he did come out, I think, in, was it 2020, or ahead of one of the elections, were basically saying, uh, for mocking the importance of voting. So in terms of like famous white male actor Chris's, he's probably bottom of the rung. Yeah. I was trying to think of the other two. It's like Chris Evans and Chris Pine. There's probably another one that I'm forgetting. Um, but yeah, essentially James Gunn has said he's never going to be leaving the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise the next one is out next year um, but it said if he was to be ousted for whatever reason the whole cast would leave so yeah it's a bit thin you know he may have attended a church that's a bit dodgy he may have some political views that people mightn't agree with but there's nothing there, really, I would have Yeah, thought. and look, he's not hes not my fave. I do think he's actually very good in this character, though. And yeah, also, yeah. If to be like, not to be a real stickler, but like, it doesn't really make any... You've, you're two movies in, like, it's, I think it's going to be a big sticking point if you're just going to pull him out of the third one for no reason. Yeah. And also, look, James Gunn isn't a stranger to controversy either. There was a whole thing where he wasn't originally supposed to be signed on for this film because there was some controversy around some tweets he'd sent in the past um, in reference to Donald Trump I think and him being voted in um, and basically again it was like a fan kind of uh, started a petition to get him back and the the rest of the cast like Zoe Saldana a few others were kind of petitioning for him to come back so he's obviously just uh, repaying the favour to Chris because Chris came out and supported him at that time. So. Are Marvel fans big supporters of the LGBTQ community? I, I will never speak for Marvel fans. No, okay. <laughs> Any Marvel fans listening can uh, can let us know about this. Now, uh, Olivia Wilde, whoops, uh, served uh, um, 
served custody papers while she was promoting a movie. I am obsessed with this story. I just absolutely love the drama of it. The link to movies is so tenuous. But anyway, yeah, I think we've talked about this movie that she's promoting at the minute. It's going to be out very soon. Uh, don't worry, darling. It's like Florence Pugh and her rumoured current boyfriend, Harry Styles. It's kind of his first big role uh, since he was recently featured in a Marvel movie. He was in The Eternals. Um, and she was promoting it at this CinemaCon conference. Lots of movies, lots of directors showing things, whatever. they got. People got the first side of the trailer. And she was on stage and lo and behold, this man comes up with a manila envelope and she was like, is this for me? And as it turns out, it was her ex, Jason Sudeikis, serving her custody <laughs> papers for their Brilliant. two children. Now, he's come out said and since our, uh, a spokesperson for him has come out and said, look, I had no idea she was going to be there and it was going to be this, blah, blah, blah. And like other legal people have come out and said, mm, you might have not known that she was going to be there at that exact time doing that, but you knew she was at CinemaCon probably. Yeah. And if you didn't know, your mm. lawyer's person knew and it kind of makes you look really bad. So... Yeah, I just, I just love the drama, to be honest. Yeah, no, that was great crack. <laughs> and uh, James Corden is leaving uh, the uh, the Late Late Show. Has he been fired for just being annoying? <laughs> he has not been fired, no. Uh, he had the opportunity to extend his contract, so he's going into 2020, uh, 2023 hosting the show, and then he's moving on. To be honest, I think it's a lot of, uh, like, the, the viewership for Late Shows across the board in the States is down. So it's not just him. You're talking Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert oh. as well. Um, he's basically, he said the show has changed his life. There's going to lots of tears when it comes to an end um, was there for seven and a half years he took over from Craig Ferguson will be interesting to see who takes over from James I wonder will they go the same kind of European UK guy right okay because Craig Whitehall. Ferguson was Scottish yeah, yeah Jack Whitehall <coughs> for some reason I don't know if he'll want to do it um, but it's kind of I sp- it's mad when you think of the fact that he was the mastermind behind Carpool Karaoke and about how that kind of no he's a bright guy actually there's there's no doubt about it he's a bright guy I just, yeah. I would just wish he wouldn't act in it <laughs> ever there's that and I think it was like a saturation I think he was oh, just kind of yeah. everywhere and I just think people got a bit sick of him he turned yeah. up on the recent the Kardashians series on Hulu oh the, and people were just like oh my god throwing tomatoes at the screen watching him so yeah Uh, speaking of saturation uh, the hashtag today is squirty movies Uh, damp patch Adams uh, Logan's runs discharge of the light brigade ooh uh, Spongebob <coughs> spare pants and uh, sperms of endearment of course um, with that all in mind Dean tell us about today's first beer <laughs> hard to follow yes <laughs> so what we're looking at we're looking at beers when it comes to kind of unusual styles and seasonal and limited edition beers uh, you'd think that that's something that kind of was birthed with the craft beer movement from the 80s onwards mm. uh, but in reality when you look at Germany what you've got is you've got a huge number of regional breweries and if you go into a pub generally in Germany, they'll usually have two to three taps and often not much more than that. You know, they might have five or six, but uh, it's more usual for them to have a small number of taps. And then it would be easy for you to assume that they just have lager and wheat beer and nothing else because they don't have a big uh, range. But in reality, they've got a lot of different sub-styles there that just don't seem to be as well known outside of Germany. And the two beers that we're tasting today are, are two examples of these sub-styles. Um, the first one, Frühling's beer, it's a uh, what they call a Naturtrub beer. Uh, so the trub is referenced to uh, yeast sediment in the beer. And the yeast is left naturally in the beer, so it's a naturally cloudy lager. Now, when you hold it up, it looks quite bright. It's just mm. when you get down to the, the end of the bottle that you'll you'll find quite a bit of cloudiness in it. Um, golden, uh, 5.5% lager. Um, 
really easy drinking, but amazing flavours in it. Um, there's a, 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 a certain amount of vanilla in it. as uh, really malty aroma that comes through as kind of honeycomb, honey bread, uh, Malteser type flavour. A um, little bit of white uh, pepper spiciness, uh, noble hop character, floral aromas, rose petals, uh, Turkish delight, all of that. But it's all very subtle and not kind of punch you in the face. No, yeah, it's and there's, lovely. There's a lovely kind of uh, dusting of uh, vanilla in the form of kind of uh, a marshmallowy type flavour in it. Um, so uh, Fruling is spring, so it's a, a spring beer, if you like. Um, it's a lager, and in terms of, of seasonal beers, if you like, uh, um, Germany almost kind of uh, uh, initiated the idea of seasonality in beers insofar as Germany is where lagers initiated. Uh, they worked out lagers first in Germany. Uh, lager is ger- a German term that means to age and they would brew the beer, put it into a cellar, keep it there for the summer, but in the cellar it would be at a very low temperature and then come the autumn time it would have aged and it would be uh, good to uh, good to go. Um, with this as a spring beer, it would be something that would be slightly unusual as in brewed out of the sequence of, of ah, the normal right. I uh, see. Yeah. Um, um, pattern of, of brewing the beer, but a- absolutely superb, superb beer and it's, it, it's one that's nice because if you're talking to somebody who's just looking for a lager or looking for a pale ale, you could substitute this for a lager and somebody wouldn't be freaked out by, you know, it being an imperial stout at 12% ABV or something like yeah. that. Um, but if you're a geek like me, you can spend kind of hours dissecting the individual flavours. But technically it is a lager, is it? It is a lager, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah it's a uh, lager. And, uh, uh, but that's interesting because Paul in Cork texted in to say, I just spent three nights in Munich last weekend enjoying many and a broad range of local beers and Frulings Fest. Yeah. Uh, giving the effort involved, I will not be making any further comment at this time. Thank you, Paul. We respect your decision. Uh, so, a bit like you know, like the, the Munich Festival, there's kind of maybe a mini one round this time of the year. Yeah, you, you, you've got uh, kind of this thing of of uh, beers being associated, like the Oktoberfest as a style of beer, is specifically associated with uh, the marriage of King Louis the First, and it was a, a festival that started in September and went into the beginning of October. So it was specifically associated with an event but the beer was brewed at the start of the summer and then aged over the summer. So overlapping with Oktoberfest, you have Martzen, which is the beer that's brewed in March. Mm. So you have oh. a Martzen style and then Oktoberfest is the Martzen that is released at Oktoberfest and a lot of it is tied into the time of the year and so on. What's the ABV on this? It's quite respectable at 5.5%. Yeah, yeah it's, okay, that's, that's good. That's normal. good. Because, yeah. you, know, you know, you come and rock up with these scary ones yeah. that are 9.2%. <laughs> you go, that's lovely. I can drink that yeah. all night. And 14 points later. Nino, Nino. Right, Esther, uh, should we do Downton first? Oh, absolutely. Let's do Downton. Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, the crazy world of Downton coming up after this. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. I hope you'll enjoy your stay. <clears throat> your butler lends a welcome air of splendor to the proceedings. But he can stand down if you prefer. Why? When the villa already belongs to your granddaughter. Lady Baxo, please, come and sit here. <clears throat> I am so sorry. I lay down for five minutes, shut my eyes, and that was it. I was gone. <laughs> welcome to the villa of the doves. You must come here a lot. We do. Or rather, we did before you entered our lives. Always in the winter, for as long as I can remember. But now, coming in the warmer months is catching on. I'm planning an article on that. You're a writer, Lady Exxon? More of a journalist, I'm afraid. I have a magazine and I'm taking back control of it. What's your article about? Oh, uh, Scott Fitzgerald, Zelda, Coco Chanel. 
all the people that got the hotels to stay open in July. Can I publish some pictures of the villa? Might that be possible? Of course. If we can see the images before you use them. Oh, you're obviously not the first journalist he's met. <laughs> <laughs> Gripping stuff there. Uh, Dave says uh, that Downton Abbey plot sounds pretty much like singing in the rain. Or is singing in the rain exciting by comparison, Esther? Um, well, the reason they're in France there, and I was worried about this because a lot of TV series, have, when they start to run out of steam on the big screen uh, spin-off front, they send people on their holidays and, uh, you know, it can be a bad idea. So when I heard they were sending uh, the Dowager, the, the family to, to the south of France, where the Dowager Countess, now, Sean, it's not exactly sex and car crashes, but there's mm. a mystery man Ooh. in Maggie Smith's life, uh, a Frenchman, who she spent a summer with many, many years before, before she was married. And uh, his name is the Marquis de Montmirail, and uh, he has left her his house, which begs the question among the family, how close were these two Ooh, she um, if he's actually left her, if he's left the gaff to her, you know. Mm. Um, so they all head off down to the south of France and uh, the, the sitting family are not happy about this at all, uh, about the takeover. And the, the I suppose, matri- the family matriarch is a source of great intrigue to the family. So that they're setting some of it in, in the south of France, but they're kind of having their cake and eating it because the other main story thread in it, as I said, is back in downtown. Thank God uh, we want to see the cutlery and stuff. You know, we don't want to be. It's like a character in the show. Um, and that is where they've decided to um, give over the house to a film crew. Um, who are making uh, a silent movie just as um, called The Gambler, just as kind of the talkies are starting to make uh, their way into onto the big screen. Um, and they are they have two p- big proper movie stars. So the grandies are down, I suppose the posh people are down in south of France. But meanwhile, the staff downstairs are having a blast at the idea of these uh, big name movie stars, Guy Dexter, who's played really really well by Dominic West if you actually put him to black and white uh, and, and got him to twirl his tash a bit he couldn't look more like a silent movie star mm. um, so that's a lot of fun and then it's uh, Laura Haddock who's played by Marina Dalglish uh, as I said as a, as a running joke in the film is that she's a doesn't have a posh voice and is very distraught at the idea of talkies coming in thinks that's going to be the end of her career um, so they're kind of under pressure and they decide that, you know, by the time their silent film comes out, uh, they're going to be competing in the box office with talkies, which are going to be much more popular and a novelty for people. Uh, so they decide that they're going to write a script halfway through um, production and cut the whole thing and just do it all over again. Uh, so the family members, including Lady Sybil, who are there in the house, try and help them pull all this together, as do the staff downstairs who just think it's great crack all together. Um, I always preferred the downstairs staff, to be honest with mm. you. Uh, they're, and they're the good fun here as well. And yeah, it's all kind of the same old, same old, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. It does, it does open with um, the wedding. Good news for Irish fans, I suppose, is Tom Branson, who's played by Alan Leach 
is um, after finding true love again after being widowed all those years before uh, with Lucy Smith and it opens with a celebration of their wedding in 1928 and uh, I was talking to Alan Leach during the week actually I interviewed him for the Irish Examiner and I never realised he went in he had, he had uh, rehearsed his Yorkshire accent and went in to uh, play a Yorkshire man and Julian Fellows, the creator of Downton, at that time said, I've actually had a really good idea of, as to how the Irish story can feed into this drama and got him to, to audition in his own Irish accent. And it was just the fact that Alan Leach, uh, an, a Dublin actor, went over to do that audition that the character ended up becoming Irish, which I thought was really, really interesting. Mm. Uh, signed up initially for three weeks, for three episodes of the series mm. um, and made himself indispensable, I guess, and became one of the, the show's most popular characters. So that's all there. He's happy ever after. I never felt, and I felt the same with the first movie, I never felt like I was watching a movie. I felt like I was watching a long episode of Downton. Yeah. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the fan base and that's what the fan base wants. Um, I did enjoy the film within a film thing. I didn't think it was played enough for fun. Um, but look, it's amiable. It's good company. It looks lovely. The frocks are great. And um, the, the witty little put downs and one liners are there. Um, I needed more Maggie Smith's. But I could say that about Maggie Smith in any film, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's just brilliant. Uh, but her health is in decline um, and she's been spending more time at Downton with the family. And I suppose the intrigue is, is she going to take this secret about this Frenchman uh, with her? And that builds into a quite uh, poignant finale, actually, I would say. Mm. And yeah, it's fine. You know, it's yeah, and what always puzzles me about uh, films like Downton in that are their spin off from TV shows is that you have a, a, a pretty large amount of characters, so the fan base want to see all those characters, then they introduce kind of guest stars as well, so that you know everyone's on screen time is, is wildly reduced. And I think that's true of here, actually. And, you know, there are the, the two story threads are interesting enough, you know, a mystery man and a, a, a movie stars come to town, you know, but they do all feel a little underdeveloped. I have to say to your point, I would agree with that. Uh, it's not for me that there isn't enough plot points or enough new storytelling. It just feels kind of as a like as a complete story. It's running out of places to go if that makes sense, mm. and maybe trying too hard to bring in too much and too many um, support characters. But look, fans are going, fans of the show are going to love it. I mean, they're all yeah. there, it's, you know, and, and there's a sentimentality, I am sure. It must be 10 years ago or more now since the first series was on screen. Um, so I'm sure there's a, a lovely um, sentimentality to revisiting all these characters again. You yeah. Know? Yeah, and I suppose it's it's comforting for people. So, you know, uh, it, it does what it says on the tin, uh, I, I suppose. Uh, as I've been mentioning all the way through the show uh, today is the final hashtag game. Uh, and uh, Ivan Corliss has decided to end it after 500 weeks of, of doing it today. It's Squirty Movies. Eat Spray Love has been particularly popular uh, among people on Twitter. Uh, the Jizz Singer has... Uh, f- uh, these are just all porn movie titles. That's all they've done. And uh, d- Desperately Seeping Susan. You should see a doctor about that straight away. Uh, we, we are going to take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show and News Talk. We'll take uh, back in a couple of minutes. Movies and Booze on Moncrief on News Talk. 
53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. Uh, we have uh, Silla, Fanula and Dean and Esther uh, still with us. Uh, as I've been saying, today is the final day uh, of our hashtag game after 500 weeks of doing it. Today it's squirty movies, one example being the legend in Bagger's Pants. Uh, I don't know what to think about what they actually mean uh, about that. Uh, now, Bill Murray has been... Now, and this is kind of this kind of stuff has happened around Bill Murray before. He's a bit aggressive. Yeah, we. I think this was one of the first stories I covered on this show. Was around last year. Lucy Liu was on a podcast and she talked about her experience working with him on the set of Charlie's Angels. Um, and this story was breaking kind of late last week, so I didn't want to cover it until I knew. But basically, Bill Murray has been working on this movie called Being Mortal. It's from Searchlight. Uh, Aziz Ansari is directing and producing, and he was also starring in it. Production was halted over a complaint around inappropriate behaviour. We didn't know who the complaint was uh, attached to until this week. Uh, the complaint was filed against Bill Murray. Um, we don't still don't really know what Murray's involvement is, um, but basically the whole thing has been halted. There, I think they were halfway through production. Principal photography had finished. Um, so kind of a pain in the hoop for anyone involved in that in terms of production or whatever. Mm. But yeah, as you said, we had spoken about this previously because she did a podcast last year in which she said, so it was basically around, she never got into explicitly what was said or what happened but there was a confrontation around there was rewrites of a specific scene or a rework that Bill couldn't be there for because he had like a family commitment. So they all reworked the particular scene. It wasn't her because she was just a star in it. She wasn't actually involved with reworking the scene essentially. But he came back and she says he essentially berated her um, and she ended up standing up to him and basically saying, look, that's not appropriate, whatever, which kind of seemed to aggravate him even more. So I don't know if this is maybe... The start of, hopefully not, but it seems to be like this is the start of some stories maybe coming out about him in terms of behaviour on set and everything like that. Mm. But yeah, not not great news. I know, because I, I think I'd read uh, um, during the week, uh, like other people have had those kind of physical run ins with him, like he's head butted people. And, you know, there's, a, a, I think it was maybe Chevy Chase or somebody uh, that, that was beef going back a considerable. A distance there. Back yes, from actually, when you yeah, say that, yeah. when you mention Chevy Chase, I'm like, yeah. yeah, that rings a few faraway bells. But um, yeah, like Lucy Lou just said, it was like it was uh, he just it was hurling insults at her essentially, mm. and uh, I don't know. It's just will the story's not over. I'd say this will carry on for the weeks until. Yeah, well, a lot of people are going to come out with stories uh, uh, yeah. that Bill Murray tried to hurt them or yeah. did hurt them. Yeah, uh, and you know, uh, if you are a headline writer for a tabloid newspaper, you can mention me, uh, uh, Bill Murray. Uh, <laughs> Uh, tried to hit me uh, with uh, a briquette. What? Yes, in the foyer of the of the Shelburne Hotel. Of all of places. The, of all places. Of all places. <sighs> we we uh, uh, it was a million years ago, and we had to do this five minute thing with him. And I brought him presents from Ireland. And I brought him some some turf. And then um, when we were leaving, he threw a briquette at me. Oh my God! Now his aim was terrible. He should okay. be said, but at the same time, it was his first time hurling a, a briquette, so it was pretty good. He got close to me. Was he just angry about the gift, or was it? I don't know. Else? Maybe he okay. didn't like the joke. Maybe he was like, "Why am I doing this? I'm okay. Bill Murray. You know, yeah. I should be doing." You know, because there's a kind of even his humour is this kind of line between wry and homicidal. Yeah, uh, 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 yeah. there is that there. So yeah. uh, you don't really know uh, uh, the way he's feeling, but he did throw. Uh, but I'm sure he threw that piece of. Tarf at me and just 
good fun. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and he would have paid my uh, medical bills. Absolutely, if, if he yeah. had actually uh, connected. Yeah. Uh, right, and finally, Avatar 2 is coming. The, will the film be as long as the gap in between the two films? It's finally, finally coming. This is like seven delays later um, and it's coming this December. So it's coming out in the States. I think it's uh, December 14th. Um, a lot of the original cast coming back. Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana. The first footage was aired this week at the CinemaCon thing that Olivia Wilde was served right, at. okay. Um, and apparently like James Cameron has used this like new technology to capture footage underwater and apparently audience members were like totally dazzled and I mean but then I'm just like is it just Splash World with 3D glasses you know what I mean is it you know I'm just I'm I'm curious I'd I'd be a liar if I said I wasn't curious but there's a part of me that's just like it's been so long you're talking more than a decade after the original movie coming out I mean there's some other big names have signed on like Kate Winslet Vin Diesel he's taken some time out from the Fast and Furious franchise Michelle Yeoh Edie Falco but I Crikey, just, that's a that's a pretty Sigourney cast. Weaver's coming pa- back. Like the cast is good, and I'm sure it will look absolutely stunning. But I mean, I, we've talked about the plotline for this movie before. So the sequel is called The Way of Water, and it's basically following the Sully family. So that's your man Jake, Sam Worthington's character. He went and became blue on Pandora, mm. and they all live together now. Blah blah blah. And someone there's a lot of like undertones of climate change. Sure, you know yeah, that there kind was of a, there was a message there. Yeah, there's a message. You, someone's invading. <laughs> someone's invading the planet and they're trying to figure out what to do and how to save the planet essentially I'm just like I don't think that's enough for me but basically if anyone wants to see this trailer footage it's going to be showing ahead of the Marvel's Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness which is out next week and then it's going to be online from the following week so I suppose once we see that we'll be we'll have a better judge of and, and do, be like. Like, do you know that we're like in the first one there was an evil you know human mining type people are they still there or are they just gone home and I think it's <clears throat> no I think it's pretty much I think it's a different <clears throat> threat but I think it's basically essentially <clears throat> the same thing like and they're looking with, to protect yeah, the Navi and what's race. with the underwater is there like mermaids living there as well and there's no details on that, but I think yeah. at some stage they go swimming. I don't know, was it just James Cameron being like, how can I make this look really cool? And he was like, underwater, okay. yes. Yeah. So. Now he was, now in fairness in the first one, he's very good at world building. That, yeah. that, that's one thing he's really excellent at. Yeah. It's just like his idea of plot and uh, using every cliche yeah. available. is, And uh, seemingly people were very impressed. And as I said, I've no doubt it will be very, very like a feast for the eyes. But beyond that, I'm like, I'm not so sure. Okay, well, let's have a feast for the palace, Dean. Okay, tell us about our second beer. We are on to Hope Classic Gose. This is a beer style that originated in Leipzig, um, which is a city that we would have described as being in East Germany if East Germany continued to exist. Mm. It's just on the... the uh, <laughs> it may well yet, if things <laughs> keep going the way they're going. <laughs> yeah. it just uh, kind of at the border of East and, and uh, what used to be East, East and West Germany. It's quite unusual. When, when you think of German beers, you don't think of sours, but there are a couple of sour styles that come from Germany. Uh, Berliner Weiss is the, the more famous one that people know of. Um, but this is a kind of a slightly lesser known uh, uh, style, which beer nerds delight in in criticising people for uh, pronouncing properly. It's spelled G O S E, so you get anything from goals to goose to whatever. Yeah. But it's gose. Mm is the pronunciation. Now, what's unusual about this, normally with sours, either you get a, a huge hit of sourness, like as in an oud goose, uh, or you get sourness balanced with sweetness, as in uh, fruit lambic uh, beer. With this one, it's sourness ba- balanced with saltiness. 
Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I get that. Yeah. kind of unusual. Yeah. And uh, how that manifests itself is a kind of a, a smell of sea air um, together with a really interesting um, flavour that is kind of like a salty sherbet would be the best yes, way to describe it. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is sherbet definitely, um, yeah. But, uh, I think now, uh, accompanying that then you've got some very, very specific fruit flavours. Um, so there's a strawberry in there, um, but it's specifically strawberry pips and not overripe strawberry or underripe <laughs> Strawberry. Okay, okay. <laughs> Beer nerd alert. <laughs> Just in between. And in terms of the lemon, not lemon zest, but lemon juice combined with lemon yes, pith. Of course, yeah. yeah. Which is very important to people. Yeah, I think very that precise. As a yes, announce- yes indeed. Yeah. I think we need to make sure that we're, we're precise on you that. You came here looking for lemon zest. You've come to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but done a superb job on it. It's really mm. refreshing, bright, zingy, uh, interesting. The salt is really unusual. It kind of almost ca- it is, coats yeah. your, your lips. It do, you kind of are, yeah. yeah it, it is just a, mm. a, a, such an it's unusual kind of flavour. a slight bang of margarita off it almost. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's um, interesting. Think, now, the, the, the one that I tasted in New York was called uh, Gosses are Red, which again, for beer nerds, I was rolling on the floor laughing at the uh, substitution of R for a G. It was hilarious. Yeah, well, I say it was. <laughs> <laughs> Come over here, kids. <laughs> So I, I can see that it has had the same effect on you guys. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, right, OK, well, that's good. Uh, right, OK, uh, we, uh, let's find out, did anybody uh, win the money from the cash machine? I've had always a bit the impression that the same Petrassi undervalued a bit Ennio, that he didn't have sufficient interest in this person. Finally, I started this story of the dance, and I explained the search e mi commissionò un ricercare quella volta there you go, there's a clip of Ennio Marconi uh, admitting that he began his composing career by murdering someone with his bare hands uh, what's uh, in the rest of the movie documentary uh, Esther? <laughs> Uh, he's a great, you know what Sean, he's a great contributor he's, um, he's a character he's, he's uh, kind of this forthright serious and emotional man but yet quite a colourful character as well like we see loads of passages of him in his quite frankly fabulous looking gaff um, almost conducting the memories of his own music and he's sitting there performing standing in the room in his own performing the the music and conducting it I found that really interesting and it's very um, cinematic of course uh, a big yoga fan as well. You see him doing his stretches every day right into um, his latter years. So it's a nice kind of um, portrait of him as well as like, sure, I mean, it's a history of cinema told through some of the greatest movie music of all time. There's there's not a lot to not like in this, you know. It's a deep dive, though, I'd warn people. And it's very workmanlike and a bit referential, reverential in its praise at times, I think. Um, and it's, you know, directed by Giuseppe Tornatore, who's another bit of a legend. Um, he's an Italian film director whose many, many much loved films included Cinema Paradiso. And he worked with Morricone many times. So, you know, it's a really, really detailed um, story. I found the early stuff more interesting than the Westerns, but that is because I was force fed Westerns throughout my childhood by my nine brothers. Mm. Um, and so, you know, a, a, f- a fistful of dollars or, the you know, the, the amazing Coyote's Howl um, from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. 
which is a, such a famous piece of music, kind of brings back trauma for me, I have to say. <laughs> so I preferred stuff like um, The Mission or the really interesting kind of early Italian cinema. He was working on stuff like The Fascist, which I'd never heard of before, uh, where he first started to make a name for himself. And then going into Gunfight at Red Sands, another big um, turning point for him and starting to work with Sergio Leone. We discover um, they were school friends, but not always um, on agreement. And and I think they're the most interesting punctuation points is when he falls out with directors over the composition of his films. Um, and those that happens a few times. Uh, and they have this kind of creative differences, I suppose. And that's really interesting. Stuff like the Battle of Algiers then. I mean, the footage to see stuff like that on screen again is just amazing, you know. So is it and just is it just his, like his CV? Is there a parallel story of his life or anything like that? It's, it's a very standard narrative. It's the story. And you don't get a lot of detail, actually. You don't get a lot of detail about his personal life. You mm. certainly get a sense of what makes him tick creatively. Um, but you don't get to learn a huge amount about him, except that he had no interest in um, in being a musician. He wanted to be a doctor. Hmm. But his dad was uh, a trumpet player and uh, played for the Italian military and was able to feed his family all his life because these were, you know, tumultuous times and kind of frog marched uh Ennio into uh, learning to play to study the trumpet, which uh, in the early days he didn't enjoy at all. So that's quite interesting. Um, the contributors are very good as well. Bruce Springsteen, of course, the best of them all, um, talking about seeing the good, the bad, the ugly. And what he says, you knew there was something going on that you'd never heard before. It was the most creative music I'd ever heard in a film theatre. And for the first time, it made me want to rush out and buy film music. Um, and I think that's a great summation mm. of what Marconi did, you know, and, and was touring up to recent years and packing houses, including in Dublin, um, when he would come to conduct his, his own music. So there's a rich, rich tapestry of stories here. Yeah. Just a little bit too workmanlike for me, I think. I, th- I think they could have done something more creatively with it. But it's never less than yeah. fascinating and interesting. One, one well, I suppose, a bit like uh, a, a Downton. It's uh, one for the fans. Uh, thanks, uh, Amelia Nestor, as usual. Thanks to Fanula uh, and thanks to Dean. Uh, uh, that's our lot for this week. So uh, goodbye for this week. Also, of course, uh, goodbye to the hashtag uh, this week. It was Squirty Movies, Sharknado, Wet Dreams May Come and, of course, The Lips That Shake the Ball Bag. Our production team today, Ashling Moore, Sean Reedy, Michael Quilligan, Simon Tierney and Ivan Corliss. Uh, Kieran's up next on News Talk. We'll talk to you on uh, Tuesday. Have a lovely weekend. Movies and booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk.